Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the movies. I'm George, of course, and alongside me, well, in a virtual alongside me, Will. How are you doing today? Doing good. It's going good. Cool. It's going. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, sorry, we got off to a late start today, but I got a little busy. Um, we got some good topics to bring up today. Uh, Going to kick it off with talking about the new Weird Al Yankovic trailer that actually uh, dropped earlier, well, last week at this point. Um, the new Thor news we have with Lady Thor and Taika Waititi's direction he's taking with that. And we're going to go over this weekend's box office because we did have that big MCU drop. And then, of course, we are going to end with our Jurassic Park review. So, yes, and we are doing that Jurassic Park review because this is the first uh, one that we're doing in kind of our Jurassic Rewatch series. A Jurassic World Dominion comes out next month, June 10th, I believe is the date. So we'll be reviewing the five movies in that franchise leading up to that point. Yeah, and um, so then this week we will be kicking off with the original Jurassic Park, of course, directed by Steven Spielberg. But firstly, yes. we got to talk about this weird, weird Al trailer we got. Yes. So I remember it was on this podcast. I don't think you knew before I told you that Daniel Radcliffe got cast to play Weird Al in a Weird Al Yankovic movie. No, I honestly um, had no idea. You had no idea. And this movie is going straight to Roku. It's a Roku exclusive. Have they had um, any mean, other like big films? If they did, none of them has grabbed my attention. This is the only one that's really like kind of made me want to get a roku i guess <laughs> yeah exactly yeah um, let me uh, pull up um of course this movie weird is um is a biopic about weird al yankovic one of the uh, most popular uh, comedic uh, musicians of all time he's run numerous grammys has sold millions of albums and to get to play him, as we mentioned before, Daniel Radcliffe, of all people. Um, and what did you think of the trailer, George? I thought it was wacky. I was From the get-go, I was like, oh, okay, this seems like a normal kind of biopic. But then they have, you know, um, sort of... Shoot, now I blinked on what that movie was called. What was the, the recent one with da uh, Daniel Garfield? I mean, Andrew Garfield. Tick, tick, uh, boom. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we have the the weird kind of like moments where they're singing and things happen. Um, we got some things happening here, and there wasn't much singing. It was just more confusing to me. Yeah, I mean, my biggest takeaway from the trailer was, um, I guess Daniel Radcliffe actually resembles Weird Al to an extent. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's still weird because Daniel Radcliffe is pretty short and Weird Al is pretty tall. Yeah. So that's I thought that was an interesting uh, thing to cast that short, but I guess it doesn't really matter if you like if he captures and does the performance that he's meant to do. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, he looks similar. And I, to me, honestly, looks don't really matter in biopics all too much, but the looks there, uh, I don't know how I'm going to be able to watch this, but I'm going to be interested in it when it comes out. No, exactly. I'm really curious because I mean, from that trailer, he looks like he's nailing the aspect of weird Al that we're, that we're expected to get. Um, and I wonder if this will end up being sort of uh a Daniel Rad, like if it's good enough, if Daniel Radcliffe could even get a nod and, you know, say a Golden Globe or something. If the Golden Globes mean anyone, anything yeah. to anyone nowadays. Yeah, but Last I don't see this. Golden... 
Yeah, I could see it happening something at the Golden Globes too. Yeah, I think that's its best chance at any awards, especially being a Roku original thing. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe Roku could like... Roku's going to really piss off Amazon. They're going to be like, Apple and Roku got awards before us. (laughs) Or (laughs) Amazon and Netflix. Oh, yeah, and Netflix, gosh. Oh, Netflix would be super PO'd if this won over any of their movies. Could you imagine... Oh, uh, with all the crap that's happening to Netflix right now, oof. No, they're oof. they're already like borderline being carried by. Hopefully, Stranger Things coming. Yeah, Stranger Things coming, and then, I mean, if Netflix didn't, um, Netflix just overspends on everything. It's nuts. That's just not a sustainable business model. Because when you look at like, um, other um, streaming services like disney plus or amazon they have other sources of revenue to kind of help fund the streaming service even apple yeah but netflix has nothing else no not at all so they are struggling right now and most people are calling it a a market correction because they've been saying netflix has been overvalued for a long time yes uh, a lot of people have been going that way which is unfortunate yeah um but Let's see, Roku. Um, yeah, I don't. I've I seriously don't know how many other like things are exclusive to the Roku channel. No, it's kind of. Um, I I tried to search it up, and the only like the first thing that pops up is the news articles about this this movie as it is. Yeah, I believe. I believe. Yeah, I don't know, because I know there's a lot of things available to watch on the Roku channel, but not made by Roku. So this is going to be interesting, uh, nevertheless, just to see, like, like, for example, like Killing Eve, which is a Hulu show, is available to watch on the Roku channel. From what I can tell, uh, Reno 911, a show called The Now with the DeFranco brother and punked with uh, Chance the Rapper are the main three. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, apparently this, I don't know. I don't kind think of a weird mix. Gonna, I don't think Roku is going to be a big player in the streaming wars anytime soon, especially since people attribute Roku with the device to how to watch other streamers. But I guess if they're able to build a name for themselves, they already have people who have their devices uh, so I don't well, know. We'll see how that goes. From what I can tell so far, is they're kind of like a peacock where you can, you know, there's the free version with ads, or you can upgrade to the adless version. Yeah, there's like so, three tiers to peacock, which is wild. But you know, yeah. good for them in pulling, getting the rights to such an interesting movie that uh, I think I don't know. I, I'm excited to see it. I, I think it looks good so far. And Daniel Radcliffe's kind of odd films that he's been releasing have been hit and miss, but the last couple I've enjoyed. Yes. I mean, he definitely is keeping in the weird territory. <laughs> this is his, true. Uh, with his movies. And it was what did we have up uh, next to talk about? It was the, um, the, the Thor, Thor, news. Thor news. Right. So I have this picture. I don't know if you have the picture pulled up that uh, Empire Magazine released. Of yes, I do. Natalie Portman as Jane Foster, the mighty Thor. Absolutely uh, jacked Natalie Portman. Absolutely jacked. I know. It's crazy. Standing next to Chris Hemsworth, 
who's always been that big, it seems like. Uh, but yeah, um, I look at this picture and I have two takeaways. I'm going to tell oh. you my first takeaway first. Go for it. Uh, Thor's costume looks awful. You don't like, is it? Is it the blue that's throwing you off? It's like the blue and the gold. It just doesn't look. It's I mean like it's very Thor Ragnarok-y. Right. Like it's something I could see like. <coughs> Excuse me. It's something I could see maybe being on Sakaar or something in that realm. Okay. Yeah, that but makes just sense. In this picture context kind of just looks too goofy. I mean, obviously that might be the tone of the film. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, seeing this costume out of the Sakaar environment just looks out of place to me. I'm very concerned with like, cause also the photo that we have, uh, Thor, it doesn't have a hammer, but she does. Uh, so I wonder if this is like his, like a retired suit. Cause she has what traditionally you'd think of as Thor with the dark blues and just the silvers. Um, I wonder if this is yeah. Thor moving up to being royalty now, because, you know, of course, o- Odin is already gone from previous films. Um, Loki doesn't exist anymore. I'm still confused on that whole aspect between the show and everything. Yeah. But, I mean, Thor has his axe. He has Stormbreaker. Stormbreaker, and yeah. I think it's it's clearly seen from this photo that the hammer that uh, Jane is holding is the um, is the hammer that Hela destroyed in Ragnarok because you can see it's all pieced together. Yeah, but um, I mean, so it's we just, be- just get the maddest multiverse of all time, you know, so who knows what's going on? <laughs> I say that sarcastically. It's- it's true and i also want to share a quick theory with you yes um i don't know i don't know if anything in the mcu so far has contradicted this at all uh but in the comics um the thor's hammer is made out of moon rock oh yes this is true like moon rock right well that's that's apparently why it was on that that star when they're making the yeah and we just got done with a Marvel TV show where we have the God of the Moon. Oh. Ho, ho, ho. I didn't think about this. Is Khonshu going to resurrect Thor's hammer? Probably not. But it's an interesting thing to think about. No, it's incredibly um, interesting. Especially guess, granted that Khonshu's, you know, yeah. the ending's all over the place. Yeah, and I no think that we're going to see... Oscar Isaac back sooner than we think. I think this kind of provides a provides a unique kind of unlikely but fun fan theory route to do so. Okay, well here's a quick question. Where is Oscar Isaac's going to appear? Cuz personally, I think his best bet is Wakanda Forever. Um, I think that's a good bet. Um, if you see all those things about like, oh, what's that group in the comics called with like the dark, uh, not the dark knight, the black knight that we saw the tease in Eternals. Uh, yeah, with Blade. Uh, with Blade and um, Ghost yeah. Ghost Riders in there, which I would be my excitement yeah. thing. Um, what's that group called? It is Dark Knights. Is it? Uh, I think that's the comic book terms. Oh, I can't remember. But yeah, that's a good question. When are we going to see uh, Oscar Isaac back? Um, Wakanda Forever, because let's see. We have Thor, Love, and Thunder. We have Wakanda Forever. We have 
Ant-Man Quantumania, we have the Marvels, and then we have Guardians 2 or 3. I think that takes us to 2023. Scratch that. They're just Marvel Knights. The Marvel Knights. From what I understand. Um, okay. Um, but I think, I don't know, I want... I kind of think they're going to surprise us and have, but it doesn't really make sense for him to be in Love and Thunder. I don't know. Right. Wakanda Forever might be the the more likely bet. I my think. my only understanding with that is since he's like an Egyptian god, I'd assume he would end up somewhere in Wakanda's area. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or and who knows because we also you know he has things made of metal. Who knows what that's made out of metal wise? Yeah, we don't know. We don't know. I just want him to come back uh, soon. But going back to the Thor picture, um, Taika Waititi, the director of the film, kind of said some comments about uh, the character that Natalie Portman is going to be playing. Uh, He said, quote, you don't want Natalie coming back and playing that some character who's walking around with science equipment, he explained. Uh, You know, while Thor's flying around, she's left on Earth, tapping her foot, going, when is she going to be back? That's boring. You want her to be part of the adventure. Natalie's really funny in real life. She's kind of goofy and has got a great sense of humor. I don't think that was exploited enough in the first films, he said. Mm -hmm. Um, So my my, uh, initial thoughts from this is that I kind of agree with him. And Natalie Portman is such a talented actress that in the first two films... I don't want to say she was wasted, but she could have done a lot more. Um, Especially in the second film. Exactly. Her character was very one note, as kind of Taika Waititi kind of alluded to. Uh, it was very one note in the sense that she was just a person with science equipment. There wasn't nothing much else that she did. That was mainly what her whole character was. Mm-hmm. And so her bring it in into this and Taika Waititi recognizing that as kind of boring and kind of trying to bring Natalie Portman's own personality into it, I think that's going to uh, prove a really, really great for this character. No, I think especially like giving her this bigger role um, is smart on their part because, uh, you know, Valkyrie turned out so well for us. At least I, uh-huh. I appreciate the character. and I think she's done well in the universe. I agree. And so I, I feel giving Natalie Portman that sort of, you know, that boost will give her, We'll make this movie better just in terms... I think she was the most lacking part of uh, Thor 2. Yeah, and just the whole their whole relationship in general. I mean, I just never felt like it was strong between mm-hmm. Thor and Jane. Well, because we only ever got confused Thor, and then when he put on his helmet, he was, you know, in a different universe. <laughs> right, right. But yeah, I think Thor Love and Thunder is going to be a great movie. I don't like Ragnarok as much as other people do. Mm-hmm. But I think when Taika Rititi says right here, um, you'll want her to be part of the adventure. And yeah. I'm just so excited to see Jane be something completely new. And hopefully we're able to see uh, Natalie Portman do much more uh, uh, or see her be, do much more than what we've seen her do in the first two movies. I highly agree. And moving on to our next topic, though, we have the box office tally for this weekend. Yes, we did. Coming in at number five, uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Uh, Number four, The Secrets of Dumbledore. 
uh, say goodbye to that franchise, let me tell you. <laughs> um, that's not getting greenlit. I'll be shocked if they greenlit a fourth one. Um, Sonic the Hedgehog 2 continuing to impress me. It only dropped 47% um, in its, uh, let's see, what week? So I think is this, this is fourth week. So this is fourth week, still bringing in six and only, uh, let's see. Oh, this is its fifth week. Fifth? Yeah, oh my gosh, week. it's killing it only, then. Yeah, only dropping 47%. The bad guy is only dropping 41%. But Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, obviously no surprise, taking the number one spot at $187 million. In just making an it, opening weekend. Yes, making it the 11th biggest opening of all time. And I don't know about you, George, but I know that there's been lots of movies to come out in the history of cinema. It's so becoming the 11th highest grossing movie of all time. Pretty big mark. It's oh, no, pretty, huge. It's, big thing. Um, it's also just crazy because, um, like, of course, Marvel has a pull regardless of how it is. But uh, granted, this is a Marvel movie that prior to it, if, if you looked at reviews, it wasn't, it wasn't getting the most stellar. Yeah, it was still, it's still hovering in the 80% range. Mm-hmm. Um, which still the overwhelming majority of critics like, but definitely does feel more mixed than most Marvel movies do amongst the fans. Yeah. But uh, I also but think there's... Dr. Strange is one of the last, like kind of bigger heroes we have at the moment. Mm-hmm. Just because Benedict Cumberbatch has such a pull. It's true. But do you want to quickly guess what the first Dr. Strange movie brought in opening weekend? Um, Sure. Let's see. Why don't you guess that? If I were a betting man, uh, I don't think it did. As high as we're looking at here, of course, especially it being new. Uh, how about 82 million? Close, 85. Well, wow. Um, so this movie made nearly $100 million more than the first one did. I mean, obviously, you contribute that to WandaVision, No Way Home. But that tells me a couple things that people people always say that the comic book movies are dead, that superhero movies are done. Let me get something like this making 187 million, and their argument kind of gets put to rest. No, uh, everyone everyone doesn't want one until we get one. Pretty much is how I see it. Pretty much. Because what? Let's see. Morbius still pulling in. You know, 70, 72 million. Like total gross just in in april alone for it being such a uh-huh. weird movie because it has the marvel sim- symbol but it's not an mcu movie uh i think regardless of how if you have that marvel sign you're meant to make money no it's true they just built up such a good brand recognition for themselves that uh, i don't think there's any signs of slowing down at but all I, I do have a, a question for you okay so we got 187 million um, this opening weekend for Doctor Strange. Um, the theaters I went to to see it, uh, almost every, there was maybe two or three theaters inside of the whole building that weren't showing it. Oh, yeah. Two questions. One, okay. is this going to be the same for Thor where every theater is playing it? And two, is Thor going to have a bigger opening weekend than Doctor Strange? Well, I do believe that it is going to have a higher opening than Doctor Strange is. Okay. I do. Not by much, though. Uh, but how much? Because let me show you uh, what Ragnarok made. Ragnarok uh, made around 
Hold on, my computer just froze. Let me bring this back up again. Ragnarok made about $122 million opening weekend. Yes. Um, however, that movie definitely is a fan favorite mm-hmm. amongst everyone, not just hardcore MCU fans. Um, if Thor doesn't beat Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness opening weekend, it's at least going to beat it in the worldwide box office total gross. Okay, I can I can agree with that. I think Love and Thunder is definitely um, going to be more rewatchable mm-hmm. for a lot of people, uh, encouraging those repeat viewings because that's how a movie gets all their money made when it makes a lot of money is people going back and rewatching it multiple times. Right. Yeah. Okay, I can see it. I just I I didn't know how you'd feel about it. Um, and also, have we heard anything on, or have you heard anything on bad guys, the bad guys? Uh, what do you mean? Just like, have you seen it or have any opinions? I haven't been able to see it. I honestly uh, completely I ha- forgot it came out. No, I haven't seen it. It kind of got released during finals week, so yeah, and that's why I was I wondering. It was kind of a flew right over my head. So weird time for it, but yeah. Cool. Yeah. But always nice to see a different animation animated movie company um, having a good role out there. It's always not, competition's always nice because you can't have Pixar and Disney rule at all. It certainly seems I know, especially take advantage while Pixar's not being released in theaters. Do what you can. Right. Yeah. Make Do a name for yourself. You can. Speaking of which, did you know Lightyear is the first animated movie to be made in the IMAX aspect ratio? No kidding. They had a virtual, like they made, they created like a virtual IMAX camera. I think so. Wow. That was one thing that was released at CinemaCon was they showed like the first 20 minutes of Lightyear. All in IMAX? It was, it was filmed in or made in the IMAX aspect ratio. That's actually incredible. Which is nuts. So definitely, you don't say this for animated features so often, but definitely go see Lightyear in IMAX if you have the chance. Did um weird thing that I learned about Pixar. Did you know they put a thing at the end of their movies to let you know and let all of the judges at um for like Oscars and stuff know that their movies are animated frame by frame? I did not know that. They were so upset when uh I believe it was Cars lost out to Happy Feet because Happy Feet was a um it was a motion capture movie. Yeah. And there, and so they had. It's like a how you get like a Nintendo certification if you're a Nintendo certified game and stuff like that. They oh, did yeah. the same thing for uh, at the end of their credits. You'd have right before it's like, oh, the no animals were harmed in the making of this uh, film. It's it, it's a certification saying that Pixar hand <laughs> handmade every single thing in this movie. Well, that's interesting. I didn't know that. I yeah, didn't no. Know that. Just a fun fact for you before we move on to the primary topic of this podcast. Yes. That is our review of Jurassic Park, the fantastic movie directed by Steven Spielberg based on the book by Michael Crichton, um, released in June 9th of 1993. This movie is 128 minutes long. Um, had a budget of $63 million and actually is one of the first or like earliest movies to gross over a billion dollars thanks to a 3D re-released in like 2012. I can tell you it's 2012 because fun fact about Jurassic Park releasing in 2012, 
2012 was really kind of a monumental year for me when it came to my love for movies because that's when the first Avengers came out. Mm-hmm. But I, I credit Jurassic Park for the film being the film to get me into movies when I was 12 years old. Wait, and was this the um, re-release or did you just happen to see the movie? It was the re-release. Oh, okay. The first so... time I saw Jurassic Park was in 2012 uh, when it did the 3D re-release. And that's the movie that got me into movies was Jurassic Park. I mean, it's a fantastic one to get in there and it's a hard one to even beat if we're being serious. It's true. It's just, uh, it's so good. Did you know, want to, uh, some fun Jurassic Park facts? Um, Jurassic Park was actually up for bidding prior to the book being released um, for major motion picture companies. Um, one being, of course, Universal Studios, where St- uh, Steven Spielberg actually had say so on how much they'd bid on this movie, as well as the picture house of the fan favorite Avatar director, James Cameron. James Cameron. Um, where M. Night he Shyamalan. Actually, M. Night Shyamalan, the real uh, Avatar director. The Avatar movie. Um, but yeah, no, uh, he was actually going to bid on the film, and uh unfortunately um got a little bit busy by the time the rights were sold and when he went and saw the movie he came out and said i'm so glad that steven got this the rights to this because i would have not made done this film the justice it needed um which is really cool to hear from two you know uh god tier directors uh I'd, i'd like to say yes so when when you look back i kind of gave you my kind of history lesson with jurassic park like when i look back on jurassic park I think about the movie that made me love movies in the first place. Um, what do you think about when you look back at Jurassic Park? Well, in a weird way, the first Jurassic Park I ever saw was Jurassic Park 3. <laughs> yeah. Let's so two weeks to talk about that one. Yeah. But so I had, um, we, I was at my, um, one of my father's friend's house and uh, it was like playing on TNT or one of those channels. And then I was yeah. like, what's this? And my dad told me, and then we got home and immediately watched Jurassic Park. Um, and it was, I don't know, it, it, especially as a child, like it gives you such wonderment into the world. And like, I, I still think to this day, everything in this movie holds up so well, include like even the, you know, the special effects in it don't pull you out of the movie as much as I thought they'd be from, you know, being all the way back in 1997. And do you know why that is? Why I think they don't uh, take you out of the movie as much? Would that be because of their 50-50 split on what special effects and which one's a creepy dinosaur robot? Yes, yes. I think this movie does a really good job at balancing practical with the visual effects uh, because you have those close-up moments when it's really scary. Like You think about like the T-Rex head banging in the window on the top of the car mm-hmm. or the raptor like breathing on the kitchen window. Uh to the raptor scaring uh, Laura Dern when she is fixing the power generator or mm-hmm. even like the brachiosaurus who like sneezes, who sneezes on Lex. Like they do the perfect job at mixing, mixing them. So um, I really do think that's why the visual effects hold up better than most people think they will for a movie made in the early nineties. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they have had that great uh, balance. And that's one thing that I kind of wish that the new Jurassic World movies did more of is more practical effects. Uh, even though it is less convenient, it does so much for the experience of the film. Oh, it, it really does. So does. 
and it adds so many fun stories from uh, the cast and crew that have with these animatronics that were just existing while they were um, eating lunch and stuff. Um, especially yeah. because that T-Rex got wet and boy, did he move a lot, I guess. Yeah, it was actually something about how that T-Rex was originally a kind of a mix of paper mache and rubber, if I recall correctly. Yeah. And so during the scene when like the rain came down, um, it just got the T-Rex head super, super heavy. So that's why like in that scene when uh, Tim and Lex are in the car and the T-Rex kind of like breaks the, the window at the top of the car, that was not originally supposed to happen. The window was supposed to stay in place, but the T-Rex head got so heavy that it in turn put more pressure on the top of the window of the car, making the window of the car kind of break. Which in terms just adds so much to this movie because in, in that scene specifically, you're getting just genuine fear because they had no idea that was about to happen. It's true. And I think one of my, right from the first, is it okay if we take this movie from the first? Yeah. From the first of it. Um, this movie, I think, is a masterclass and nearly perfects uh, how to introduce characters into a story. Exactly. Um, going in, like not to spoil the second and third films or really talk about them, but the way that this cast is written together and the way that they're actually, you know, they the way they act together makes you feel like you're not even, like it just happened to be a movie that was being filmed while you were watching like a nature documentary. Right, exactly. So, like, you're introduced to um, uh, Grant and Sattler um, as they are at their excavation site, and you you immediately get um, an idea of how uh, Dr. Grant loves dinosaurs. Right. So he reacts to it, and then it perfectly sets up the raptor for the end of the movie, which is genius. But then it's also a great kind of romantic chemistry between a, a Grant and Sattler. And then, oh man, and then how they introduce Hammond into all of it. It's just done so perfectly. It's done I, I, so extremely well. I'm so glad that they got the cast that they did. Um, just because I know, I think, what they had. Harrison Ford was offered the role of Grant, but turned it down. Uh, Sean Connery was asked to be Hammond uh, before Richard Attenborough was chosen. Like, if any of this would have changed, I don't think we would have gotten this amazing movie that we got. It's true. And it's kind of amazing how many, like, almost castings didn't work out, but we're so grateful that they didn't. Right. Because, Um, like, you even think about the introduction to, oh, Ian Malcolm's character. uh, Yeah. Jeff Goldblum's character, Ian Malcolm. Uh And how he's kind of just like that that weirdo but also super intelligent guy who has like the best lines throughout the entire movie um the one that quite frankly speaks all the wisdom in the movie with all the funny one-liners um he has like the most iconic lines in this movie um life finds a way and your scientists are so focused on whether or not they could they don't focus on whether or not they should Right. He has some of the most iconic lines and, and plays it only in the way Jeff Goldblum could. And yeah, like if anyone else was cast in this role, it wouldn't. I mean, obviously, uh, this film pretty much made him like a sex icon <laughs> for the rest of yeah. the 90s, which was really silly um, just for uh-huh. just for brief scenes of where for some reason the man can't button up his shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, that's kind of like, he's kind of just like that, that, I don't know, swagger, but also just like able to snap back because there's two scenes in particular that, um, that I feel like really play a part into his character. The first one is like when they're having the lunch, mm-hmm. right? And Ian Malcolm's giving his whole speech of this is a bad idea. You shouldn't bring extinct animals back. And then Hammond is just like, if you thought if I was bringing condors back, the extinct condors, you wouldn't say anything. Then Malcolm claps back with, well, dinosaurs don't go extinct because of deforestation and building of dams. They had their shot, but a meteor crashed into them. Just like, boom, Boom. mic drop. But then like Hammond still clinging on to the hopes of Jurassic Park until the very, very end says, when Disneyland opened in 1956, which is factually incorrect, it opened in 1955. They got the opening date wrong. Oh, that's Maybe. interesting. But they were just like, when Disneyland opened up, um, everything went wrong. It's just like how everything's going wrong in this park. But then Malcolm says, yeah, but when things go wrong, the Pirates of the Caribbean don't eat their tourists. <laughs> <laughs> right. I love that line, too. I love the Malcolm character. Well, it's crazy too, because this is also, you know, they're making witty remarks as a company that has, is it's, this is their rival to Disney, uh, to Disney at this point, especially Yeah. Uh, in terms of Warner Bros is one of the only studios we have left. Yeah. Uh, so even yeah. needing more over time. Um, and we also have the very strange, have you heard the very, very strange fan theory? Uh, which one? <sighs> Why can I? I swear, we we record a podcast, and as soon as I remember, uh, I I forget everyone. Chris Pat's character character of Owen Grady. Oh, being the little kid at the first. Yes. Yeah, that's been debunked. Oh, I I really that's wish just debunked. like in this movie, he uh like when he's talking to him, he goes, you know, you sound a lot like a guy that told me some dinosaurs were gonna kill me. And he goes, what? He goes, I was that guy. Oh, like, it'd be so nice if that was just a, a quick, like, spur in, like, Dominion just to go, wow. But, yeah, no, the debunction. That would be that would be funny if they actually went with that. I mean, they can always uh, lie, can always counter contradict themselves. Right. Um, but, yeah, but... so I think um, you have the characters, which I love about this movie. Mm-hmm. We've already talked about each character set up so well serves a great narrative purpose to the story. None of them are just there to be there. All of them have their own specific moments to shine. Even the kids in the kitchen scene uh, just do a great part to uh, just just shine. So like, the characters are great. But also the way Spielberg builds tension in this movie is so effective. Oh, yes. Um, there are... I think that's because he uses the um, the the rule of like he takes you on an emotional high and then he puts you like on emotional tension. Then you feel good again and then you're on emotional tension again. So you always have that felt false sense of relief that he brings you right back into the terror and like the horror of what the situation is going on. Right, and I feel like that's that's why you know. Um it's so good that this film was done by Spielberg is just because his pacing is so well, well done. Um, because you, as you're saying, you have this, you're, you're having constant wonderment and then realizing, wow, these things that you think are so cool can totally kill these people at any time if they honestly felt like it. Yeah. 
And it's because you have those moments of wonder, which we will talk about. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about John Williams' score eventually. Oh my uh, but you have those you have those moments of wonder, like wonder when they first see the dinosaurs, or when they wake up the morning after the T Rex attack, and they have the Bronchiosaurus standing right there. Right. To the moment of them seeing those uh, those Gallimimus dinosaurs, or whatever they're called, on the field. They're just these moments of wonder juxtaposed by moments of horror. And that's just such an effective way to tell a story that gets you feel how the characters are actually feeling in this moment. Right. Um, have you actually heard something kind of cool in uh, that happens with Spielberg or why this movie actually means a lot more to Spielberg than some of his other films? Please tell me. So during this time in 1993, it was actually a big year for Spielberg, not just because he released this, uh, had this crazy phenomenon with Jurassic World, um, but this was also the year that Schindler, uh, Schindler's List was released. Um, That's true. Which is an extremely sad movie. And um, while he was actually editing that movie, he was directing this one at the same time. So his spurts of being sad and having to deal with the pain that comes from that movie um, went away when he'd be able to hang out with this cast um, because he said there's just so much good energy on the set. It made him completely forget about anything that was going on with Schindler's List. Um, and in terms, like, saved his, like, you know, morale for making movies just because he, he was borderline, like, not ready to make any more movies after Schindler's List. It, it affected him so so heavily. Yeah, which I don't blame him, but like, I'm glad he made this movie because I watched this movie last week to get ready to refresh it for this podcast. And then my wife wanted to rewatch all the movies to get ready for Jurassic World Dominion. Mm -hmm. And so I watched this movie like twice in the past week. And I swear I'm never, ever going to get tired of this movie. No. And it's weird too, no matter how many times you see it. Um, as as like you were saying, we're gonna bring up eventually. As soon as the ba da 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 da, you insert the round of applause. Yeah, insert round of applause. Thank you. Um, uh, as soon as you hear that, just like I, I get goosebumps every time. Yeah, seeing seeing yeah, the dinosaurs, real. regardless of how old it's been since they've been since they've been put in this movie, I, I can't help but feel like like a twelve year old child all over again. Yeah, but like I want everyone listening, and maybe you, George, mm. to like close your eyes and think about a valley, like a beautiful valley, and think of dinosaurs roaming that valley. And then you hear Richard Attenborough saying, Welcome to Jurassic Park. Oh. And it's... then that Jurassic then that John Williams music playing that John Williams movie music. Just just such a good job at establishing tone for each and every scene. Because you think about those uh, scenes of wonder like we talked about before. The music's uh, so high. About, yeah, it's so high. Like when the uh, uh, helicopter first gets to the island, when they first see the dinosaurs, to when they wake up and see that bronchiosaurus, like I said again. The music just does such a good job at enhancing the tone. And it never distracts because you can have some scores that distract you from the film. Either like you don't hear the score, which can be a good or a bad thing. Right. Uh, but sometimes all you can hear is the score and you can't really tell what it's there for. It's not enhancing the movie anyway. And I believe that's uh, the job of a score is to enhance the moment, movie and scene of whatever you are in in that moment. 
And I think the craziest thing too is like this movie is so good at keeping you like on your toes and so enthralled with what this world's bringing you that like only after like my fourth or fifth time watching this where I was just like, I got to see if there's anything wrong is when like you have to really focus in to see where there's just like weird shortcomings that they have, like weird story beats that they establish, but never go back on. Um, like where, yeah. where I, I can't remember what chemical it is, but it's in their body. And if they don't get it, they die, but then it's never like brought up ever again. Yeah. Um, and that's, it's like just these minuscule things are like the only thing you can even pick away from this movie. Cause it's so perfectly done. And and you have like those uh just those simple logic flaws, right? Where there's that spot with the T Rex with the goat on it that's mm-hmm. level with the road, but then the car falls down it and there's nowhere for the goat to be. Right. You know, and then... and there's moments like that, but they're ultimately uh inconsequential because there's some movies where flaws like that take me out of it. That's because the rest of the movie doesn't put me in it. But this movie puts you into the situation so well that when those little flaws come up, they don't really bother you. Oh, not at all. And there was like just one that kind of bugged me is for some reason, um, you know, the scene where it's like the weird, like they're kind of like they're the Velociraptor legs, but they totally look like someone just has like them on his fingers and walking back. Oh, yeah. When he walks, there's no like boom, boom, boom kind of steps to him. But who cares? Yeah. They're just, I, I don't know. You're so invested in the characters. Um, it's cool that it's a, and it's also interesting because this isn't a movie where it's these people and the dinosaurs are the villain. There is actually a villain in there and you actually care for him as well. Um, not, not in the way like, oh, I hope he's all right. But in the way like, oh, he is the villain. I can understand this. Um, but it's so balanced because you, you do have these three aspects. You have the people, the villains, the dinosaurs. And one doesn't seem to overshadow the other than it needs to be. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so when you look at this movie, um, what's like your favorite scene or a scene that stands out the most to you? Um, honestly. Like every time you think Jurassic Park, what scene or moment stands out to you? Uh, I like when, uh, um, when Grant and the kids are in the tree and they wake up yeah. and find the Brachiosaurus just grazing by. Yeah, and it's just so cool because Lex is all freaked out about it, and then Grant's like, "Hey, it's okay. The Brachiosaurus, it's a, it's peaceful. It's a herbivore. You don't gotta worry about it." And trying to convince, you know, everyone looks at a dinosaur because they're big and horrifying, but not every dinosaur is big and horrifying. And it's cool, just you know, he actually has a child next to him to yeah. you know reassure them, like, "Hey, you're okay right now. If it, if it was a T Rex, you might be dead, but this is okay." Yeah, I have I have two scenes that stand out to me really. Uh, the first scene is actually the very end shot, essentially, when, act, uh, when Alan is looking out the window and he sees the birds flying away as he's leaving Jurassic Park. Because it's kind of a big part of the movie where one of uh, Alan Grant's theories is that dinosaurs didn't necessarily go extinct, but they evolved into modern day birds. Yeah. And that's kind of symbolizing... I don't know. I just feel like there's something super poetic about him seeing those birds as he's escaping seeing dinosaurs again for the first time. Uh-huh. Um, that's weird. My computer screen just went dark, so I thought the power was lost, but oh. it is not. It just went but yeah, I just think, yeah, I just think there's something super poetic about him seeing those birds representing kind of like his life's journey of like finding uh, dinosaurs, but then like seeing like the life cycle like go full, like complete i guess right 
if that makes sense i just they, think they've returned to, to where they where they started type deal exactly and another scene that uh speaks uh, that i really look back on is the scene uh where uh uh, Laura Dern is having a conversation with uh, Richard Attenborough while there he's eating ice cream. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, yes, there's this uh, talking about the flea circus. And just like, there's this, there's this illusion of the flea circus, but this park is not an illusion. It's real. But then uh, Laura Dern clouds back and says, the idea that you have power to control these, na- this nature is the illusion. Like mm-hmm. you can't control this. You have no way of knowing what's going to happen. Cause that kind of goes back to Alan Grant's quote earlier in the movie where it's just like, we are separated from these creatures for 65 million years. There's no way to tell how we're going to react with them. And that's just kind of like the whole, I just love how they're so that, that theme of just like, you can't control nature. Life finds a way. Mm-hmm. It's just so prevalent throughout this whole movie. And that's kind of just the one big kind of big picture thing I think about when I look back on this movie. That's that's also like something that I think is uh, funny too, just out of the, when you were just mentioning the life finds a way thing. Um, his character kind of always finds a way, like even with the seatbelt, how he figures out, oh, I can just tie it together. Yeah. Um, there's just like a lot of play. I feel like it's a very poetic movie in a sense. Uh-huh. Um, cause it's literally, they tell you pretty much what's going to happen and then it happens, but you don't put it together that all that's going to happen. Um, yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of connective tissue you do like on your third, fourth, fifth time watching it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's like so many things, so many quotes that actually foreshadow the rest of the movie. Just like, for example, let's talk about the life finds a way one life finds a way. He says that when he saw sees the first dinosaur hatch, but then Alan Grant runs into some wild dinosaur eggs that weren't made in the lab. And he's just like, Malcolm was Malcolm right. Was right. Yep. Life does find a way. I also and think it's that's just one example. I also think it's funny that for some reason, um, this, uh, I mean, obviously he's an eccentric millionaire, but, uh, Hammond just trusts his two grandchildren with people that he kind of barely knows. Yeah. They're like, here, Grant, Malcolm, and Gennaro. Here's my two grandchildren, Lex and Tim. Yeah. Be okay. And then they, and uh, like, I think Jurassic World, uh, not not to pull too far, but like the two kids in that movie are at least in a safe, that's a theme park based one, whereas this is barely a park in in and of itself. It just kind of happens to be named a park. Yeah. Um, I think this is like extremely dangerous and I think it's very irresponsible of Hammond, but you know, he's trying to show his children like these things that you're never going to see ever again in your life. Yeah. And it's just kind of like that. um, It's kind of like the AA kind of arc that um, Hammond goes through just like, like denial acceptance all the way to the end where he's like, he's in denial that this park can work. This park can work. But then at the end, when Grant says, I'm not going to endorse your part. And he says, neither will I or something along those lines. Yeah. Uh, Just that arc of just him seeing. So you kind of feel bad because he's a big dreamer. He has, he had this big idea, but he didn't really think about it. Because kind of going back to what Malcolm said is just like, you gained this information without discipline. You kind of just let it be, but you didn't have to work for it. And that can cause problems. And sure enough, 
it did cause some problems. Right. And it's also nice because like going forward, it's only a couple of dinosaurs that were really like bad. And it wasn't even in yeah. terms of them being bad. It was in terms of the circumstances that were put in front of said dinosaurs to make yeah. them bad. Um, yeah. Like we have all the, uh, you know, when the, um, was it the Triceratops is like hurt on the side of the road and they have the people come and take care of it and it gets up and it's all right. Yeah. Like it's proving that there's a possibility that we can live together in peace. It's just how you want to treat them versus how people want to, you know, there's people out there that want to weaponize them. Right. Right. Which is a very kind of, kind of, I think, um, guides the Jurassic world franchise a little bit. Mm -hmm. That, that aspect. I really hope we get more context as to how world world happened compared to where we left off with this series. Um, in this mm-hmm. third one, which I assume we will. Uh, the the best part being that the original cast is coming back together. And I hope that they're used in an effective way that serves the story. I don't care how much they're in it or how little they're in it, if it makes sense to the story. Yeah. Well, I also hope that they're, they're versions from this movie and not the others. You don't want a talking raptor? Not not today. Not in the dreams. <laughs> Alan. 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 And he says it's uh, so weird too. Um, but that's another day, another movie. Yeah. But overall. Week, so I can't wait to talk about the train wreck that is Jurassic Park 3. Oh, um, me but, either. Um, but yeah, no. I think overall this is one of the greatest films ever kind of made. If I'm just going to be blunt about it. Oh, it definitely is. It's definitely uh, one of the greatest kind of milder horror films out there Mm -hmm. it's definitely one of the best science fiction adventure films out there i i think it could i'd I'd argue it might even be the best just because like there's a lot of really good sci-fi movies but i feel like a lot of them are limiting more towards adults whereas this one's good for like everyone a kid adventure yeah yeah um because you know like we have great great movies like doom arrival stuff like that and those are a lot more like thinking movies mm-hmm. and modern of course yeah and so i think looking back my final thoughts on jurassic park are something spielberg does a masterful job at is kind of like we mentioned uh is creating these sequences just of amazing wonder with juxtaposing them with scenes of terror or fright. Mm-hmm. We see that. And we talked about empire of the sun a couple months ago. You have those scenes of like seeing it wonder through Christian Bale's eyes in that movie. But then you also see those, like those dark times that actually happen. You see those like in Indiana Jones, you have those awe scenes followed by scenes of terror and fright Right, but like Jurassic Park, I feel like is when uh, Spielberg does it the best. Uh, it's partly due to because of John Williams' score and the screenplay, how we're introduced to all these characters, and how Spielberg was able to work with all those things just to make one great cohesive movie. That is definitely one of my favorite films of all time. Very influential film for me. 
uh, because it is the film that made me uh, get into movies. Yeah, and I think that's a fantastic way to you know get into movies. Um, we 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 can argue that Spielberg is one of the greatest of all times, and that he is the greatest of all time. I I don't think there's any argument there. You don't think I mean, so? If you don't call, because Spielberg has shown mastery in so many genres more than any other filmmaker has. Mm-hmm. I think you have to consider him the greatest of all time. All right. I mean, yeah. obviously, all film subjective, but the way he is able to master horror, sci-fi, action, comedy, West Side Story, musical, name the genre, and he's done it. Spy thriller. I mm-hmm. mean, historical drama. I mean, he's just done so good. Anyway, what are your final? Do you have any final thoughts on the movie? Um, no final thoughts, but my, I, I just have to say, if you haven't seen this movie, you need to. And if you want to go see Jurassic Park Dominion, it is a must watch. Yes. Especially the legacy cast coming back. Um, that's going to be great seeing all five of them together, Mm -hmm. meaning, uh, Howard Pratt. Um, Dern, Goldblum, Neil. It's gonna be so great. I already got my tickets for IMAX June 10th or 9th, whatever that Friday is that it comes out. Yeah, I think 10th the Friday, 9th the Thursday. The weird early showing things if they do those. Yeah, and Mm. if you're lucky enough and are able to go to it, uh, some theaters are doing a double feature of showing Jurassic on the 9th, showing Jurassic Park and then Jurassic World Dominion. Yes. And if you haven't seen Jurassic Park in the theater, watching it at home's cool, but watching it on the big screen mainly for the sound and everything, it's it's something special. Yeah, no, we got to really say just special. the music's amazing in it, but like uh also the sound design of this movie really puts you in aspect of just how monumental these beasts are. Yeah. yeah. It really does. But anyway, uh that's concludes this episode um next uh episode this week we are going to be ranking our films of the summer as far as anticipation goes for how much we want to see each film we did a couple of episodes ago uh, we did uh, what films we think are going to be the biggest movies of the year but this of uh, this uh episode coming up next week we're going to be talking and ranking about our most anticipated movies of the summer which is basically going from about May to August, I think is what's considered the summer movie season. Right. Um, And then sneak peek into next week or Jurassic Park 2, if you want to watch that to kind of uh, feel like you're more in the conversation with us when that time comes. The Lost Uh, World. The Lost World. And then you can, like I said, you can expect the top, uh, our top 10 most anticipated movies of the summer this week. Maybe with a little bit of something else in there. Uh, I know Firestar is coming out this week, so maybe we'll review a Stephen King movie. We're not really sure yet, but you can definitely count on us ranking those uh, top movies of the summer. Of course, and um, we do have a lot of them coming. We do. We are going to be reviewing five (laughs) for the time being, and obviously six once the time comes. But anyways, that is it. Uh, Talking about Jurassic Park. I am Will. And I'm George. And thank you for coming to the movies with us.